So I'm going to welcome everybody that's joining us on Facebook Live. We have some, but I really want to get into this morning's message that God's laid out my heart for us. How many of you guys know you're part, you are part of the Christmas story? It didn't end in Bethlehem. It started in Genesis. You are part of God's story. The Christmas season is about remembering a Savior who chose to leave everything he had. His royalty, the throne room, the presence of the Father chose to leave all of that for us. That's why we're part of the Christmas story. That's why as we get ready to journey towards Christmas over the next three weeks, today we're going to talk about the courage it takes to wait. There's courage in the waiting for God. Again, going back, I thought about this, I prayed about this. How do you preach messages and how do you preach Christmas? You know, you guys look at pastors, we come up, try to come up with something new every year. To keep your attention on the Christmas story. You know, what new cool thing can we talk about this year? And as I continue to pray, and as I continue to talk to God, and I continue to try to come up with new angles to preach the Christmas story, I came up with one solid thought. The Christmas story is about transformation. And no message I come up with can change that if you're not willing to open your heart to the story of Christmas. If you're not willing to say, God, this is new to me, like we just got through saying and how God's mercies are new every morning, the Christmas story should be new every day in your life as you live it out. You realize in July, you may be the only Christmas story somebody sees. I watched a video this week where this guy was talking about, you know, we, we talk about baby Jesus, right? And then we get to the part where, where Jesus is walking on water, and in this video, the guy's like, that's the same guy as the baby? And then we get to the part where Jesus dies on a cross, and, and, and uh, that's the same part as the guy who walked on water, and that's the same guy who actually was born in Bethlehem, that baby Jesus. Yeah, it's all the same. We seem to compartmentalize Jesus, not understanding that his life is, has never ended. He paused it for three days and came out the tomb. And we seem to compartmentalize Christmas as being this joyful time of year where we should help the poor, where we should help the needy, where we should do this for people, when that Christmas story should be a year-long process. I had the opportunity this week to do a funeral for a gentleman I had never met. I met with the family. As the family shared some things with me, and it brought me to the Christmas story as they shared with me who this guy was, by earthly and cultural standards, he didn't have a lot. But every year, he adopted a family for Christmas. Didn't have the money to do it, but he made a way to show love to people. He was the kind of guy that if somebody asked, and I joked with the people when I was talking to him, you want to find out how good your friends are, ask them to help you move out of a third-story apartment. Whoever shows up is a good friend. This is, he's the guy who would do it. And so not knowing this gentleman, but talking to the family, he lived out that Christmas story every day. And so should we. We shouldn't wait till this time of year to help people. When we look at this, and the birth of Jesus was foretold back in the Garden of Eden. 
Okay, after Adam and Eve sinned, God himself gave a prophecy, said, he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. A foreshadowing of what was to come. And then we go to, you know, you, you travel all throughout the Old Testament. Abraham got a, a prophecy about the Messiah coming. David was constantly prophesying and looking for the coming of the Lord. And then you get to Isaiah. Isaiah gave his, his prophecies. Let's go to Isaiah 9, 2 through 6. It says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Then you jump down to verse 6, it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, this is where waiting comes in. Isaiah gave this prophecy about 705 years before Jesus was born. Now, I thought about going into all these things and trying to convince you to show you how all this stuff was, was pointing towards Jesus. But guess what? I'm not going to give you a bunch of knowledge because that's not going to transform your heart. The baby in the manger is going to transform your heart. The king of kings who came to put himself into that manger is what transforms things. Because I did. I studied a lot on this. And that's, this is a tendency I, I can do if I'm not careful to overstudy things. And then I got into these things where in the Isaiah 7.14 verse where it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that verse there can cause a lot of issues. Because the Greek translation and the Hebrew translation for that word virgin can mean two different things. So I was reading arguments on that. All right? But what I came to the conclusion on that was, whether it means virgin or young woman, culturally, at that time, a young woman who was unwed was a virgin. But people will argue about that, about semantics of words. It's like the calling a high schooler a high schooler a teenager. Most people in high school are teenagers, aren't they? I mean, 10th year was the three best years of my life, 10th grade. Um, I'm joking. We're not going to get into semantics. We're not going to get into this. Whether it meant young woman or virgin, I still believe with all my heart Jesus chose to come and be born on... I'm not going to even argue about the date it was, whether it was April or May or December. Don't care about any of that. I know the transformation he brings to your life when you open your heart to him. So knowledge will only get you so far. How many of you this morning will admit that you have a problem waiting? We all do. Why? Why do we get frustrated? Why do we get angry? Why do we get impatient? We get depressed. Why do we get that way? Because we think we know better. It's really what it comes down to. We get impatient because we want God to show up at our time when we're ready so that we can be prepared for what he has. Well, even Jesus coming back, it says he's going to come like a thief in the night. You're not going to know when he's going to show up. So you should be ready all the time. 
But what happens is when we get when we get in the waiting, what happens is we start filling it with other things. We start filling that time that should be spent with God on other things that we think will get God to move. You know what I'm talking about? You were told not to go out and go to that concert, but it's a Christian concert, so you should probably go to it, even though God really had been talking to you about spending time alone with him and what he has for you. Oh, we'll go out and we'll have a hobby and we'll go out and do that. Now, none of this stuff is bad. Don't hear me wrong. But when God is trying to get your attention and God is telling you to wait, and it's why it takes courage, because it is hard to sit in the silence to hear from God. Because our culture today is noise. When's the last time any of you guys just sat with dead silence for more than two seconds? The kids are a great example. I was talking with somebody this week about why I love going up hunting where I go hunting. And the reason why is I get to go out in the middle of nowhere with no noise and just sit and spend time. Some of the greatest courage you could have today is to wait upon the Lord. Waiting on God is not passive. Waiting on God takes work. Our microwave society says you should have everything now. How many guys ever went through McDonald's and you had to wait for a minute and you got upset and said this is supposed to be fast food? Yeah, y'all do it. Or why do I have to wait in this? I am, and I am horrible at waiting in lines. I'm not going to admit it. Why? Because life's all about me. This line should hood up, speed up a little bit so I can get through it quicker. Don't they know I have things to do? Waiting is faith and hope that goes beyond a wish. Waiting on God isn't something we're wishing for. It's the hope, as we sang this morning, yes, I will trust you. No matter what my circumstances around me are saying. Because now at this time when Isaiah was making this prophecy, they were getting ready to come under attack. He's prophesying to King Ahaz. And he's talking to him. And they're getting ready for a battle. And Isaiah gives him this prophecy. Micah lived about the same time as he did. About 700 years before that. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now, Micah gave that prophecy about 600 years, 650 years, before they ever saw it happen. They were waiting for a Messiah. We can't wait six minutes on God most Sundays because we're in a hurry and we have plans. These guys wait, were waiting for centuries for Jesus to show up. The hope that we have, the hope of the Christmas story, isn't 
the nativity scene. It's the person of Jesus who came to make the nativity scene. And we will talk about the shepherds next week and the proclamation and how God uses what the world sees as silly to proclaim his greatness because that's what the shepherds did. We're going to talk about the wise men. We're going to journey and look at the characters of Christmas through our, our eyes because you are characters and cast in, in God's Christmas story. His Christmas story is never ended. Jesus states in the Bible, in Ro- for in hope we have been saved. In Romans 8, 24 and 25, it says, But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what, for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. So when you are waiting on God, are you excited about that wait? Are you eager? And it's not about the waiting, but are you eager for the answer? Because guess what? As you eagerly wait and you pursue God, the answer will come. When it comes to the Christmas story, you all know the basic outline of it. You basically know about the parents, you know about the manger, you know about the innkeeper, you know about the shepherds, you know about the heavenly host, and you know he was born in Bethlehem. We even know, and once in a while we'll throw in the Magi, even though they didn't show up until a few years later. We'll throw him and the, them in the nativity scene. Okay? Because that's part of it that we understand and that we know. But too often, we forget about the other people who are leading up to this story. Today, we're going to talk about a couple of people that we too often forget was the forerunner to the Christmas story. They also fulfilled a prophecy of Isaiah where he says, I'm going to prepare the way for the Lord to come. John the Baptist and his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, are a huge part of the Christmas story. And they're a huge part of understanding how there's courage in the waiting. Wayne Stiles tells of sitting on the tollways headed into work and realizing how much she spent on tolls. That led to trying to go to work on access roads, but he discovered that just took more time. So he was going to pay with either time or money. The worst was having to stop at the stoplights and then when no one was coming on the other way, it was almost as if the lights had been programmed against him as he hit almost every one. I'm sure some of you have gone through this. If not, I have. Here it is, 5 a.m., pitch black, no cross traffic, and the light turns red. And you have to sit there. How many of you guys ever thought about running through that light? How many of you guys ever ran through that light? All right, see? But here's what he came up with. He says, there has to be a reason why this is happening. And he goes, because I trust God, I have to believe that in the waiting, he has something for me. I have to believe in the waiting at the light in the dark with no other traffic serves a purpose, but I see no other reason to wait. And he makes a statement except for the light. In this story, Isaiah talks about it. We have seen a great light. Isaiah makes a prophecy of the nations. You'll see a great light. So as he sits at the stoplights morning after morning, he begins to note all the reasons we wait in life. 
supper time, difficult meetings, grocery store lines, and on and on, he begins to realize what we, that we do a lot of waiting. But the most difficult kind of waiting is waiting on God. Waiting on God usually means hanging on until he changes our circumstances. The trouble is, God is seldom in a hurry. And he doesn't rush. How many of you guys seen Lord of the Rings? If not, watch it. Awesome movie. The whole, all three of them, trilogy. Um, do you all remember when Frodo was sitting waiting for Gandalf? At the beginning. At the end of The Hobbit and then at the beginning of Lord of the Rings. Gandalf's response is actually fits this. He says, and this, this, is, this is how I want you to think about God, but this is what he says in the movie, so don't throw rocks or nothing. A wizard is never late or never early. He was always on time. How many of you guys can say that about God? He's never late. He's always on his time. And his time is perfect. What Israel was going through at this time, for 700 years, they've been occupied by foreign rulers. They've never known the freedom of living a free life. They were, they were never under their own rule. When the exiles returned in 535 B.C., hopes were high, but the Persian Empire gave way to the Greek Empire, which gave way to the Roman Empire, and with each suffering, the, the Israelites increased. Their hopes, their cries, and their aspirations for their Messiah begin to, to grow louder because they, they wanted the freedom. For 400 years, God was silent. For 400 years, they lived under rule of other countries. There were no judges, no prophets, no kings, no military leaders raised, raised up, no books that were written, no answered prayers for their Messiah. At that point, I think a lot of them would start to wonder if their prophecies were true, if what God had said was really going to happen. We all know what it's like to wait on God, to wait on God for employment, to wait on God for a spouse, for retirement, to wait on God for a doctor's appointment or the results of a biopsy to wait on God for MRIs, a diagnosis or a prognosis, a child to come back to the faith. We all know what it means to wait. But the problem is, is our wait turns into fear, not faith, and we get anxious. And we start not doing what God's called us to do. That's the whole purpose of the Advent season. It's waiting on the Messiah. We look into the future today waiting for his return. Are we waiting expectantly for God to show up? The main verses I'm going to read today are in Luke 1, 5 through 20. Actually, I'm going to go through 17. So if you want to turn to Luke 1. I'm going to jump down actually to verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth, Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened while, they were, while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you will call him the name John, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be a great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient of the, to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So as we read this story, and you understand the backdrop of this and why this story is so important. The first thing you need to understand is it says they were righteous. It said they followed the law. It said they were doing all the right things. But what they did and where they stayed is they were faithful in the waiting. We need to continue to do what God has called us to do while we're waiting. We need to remain faithful. You can look in the Bible and you see multiple people who, here's a tip for you, God will meet you in the mundane if you're being obedient. If you're just doing your work, that's when God will meet you because you're being obedient and faithful. Moses was keeping Jethro's flock when God showed up in the burning bush. He wasn't doing anything special. He was remaining faithful. Gideon was, on, was threshing wheat. He was just doing his job. And God showed up. Elisha was plowing when the prophetic mantle was tossed on his life. He was working the family farm. And God showed up. David was tending his sheep when he was chosen to be king. Waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God, God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first activity under command. And that's what these guys were doing. That's what Elizabeth and, those, and Zacharias was doing here. There was readiness for any new command that may come because their hearts were open. And third, there was the ability to do nothing until the command was given. So we see Zacharias, he's heading to the temple because that's what he's supposed to do because he's in the priestly line. They throw, they throw some dice. Do it, it's your turn to go in. Okay, that's how I read it. You guys read it however you want. The one thing you see is that they hadn't received the promise, but they trusted God. The second thing we see happening here, when you read into verse 13, is they kept on seeking. They kept on pursuing God. They kept on being obedient. It says, you know, when you look at this, and, and you can question, why does this, these verses, why is the, what's the importance of they haven't had a child? Why is that thrown in there? They had no child. 
Well, first off, if you go back to the cultural relevance at that time, for, them, for her to not have a child, she must be getting punished by God. Because culturally, that's what they believed. So when Elizabeth was barren, there must have been a reason for barren, the barrenness, and it was punishment. So what had they been doing wrong? So they had prayed, I'm guessing, for many years for a child. And now they're getting old. She's loving God shows up and messes with our timetable. And it was there, doing his priestly duties, continuing to pray, continuing to pursue, never giving up. Years have gone by of praying. Years of, t- of tears, I'm sure, from Elizabeth of why, God, haven't you given us a child? Years that they've been doing this, and all of a sudden an angel shows up and says, hey, you know that prayer you've been praying? That one about that baby you've been asking for? Well, I'm going to grant it. You know that child you've been praying for? You know that cousin or wife or husband or friend you've been praying for? I'm going to give that to you. Because you stayed faithful. You stayed pursuing God. You stayed believing he was who he said he was. You stayed not questioning. And he goes on to say, not only am I going to give you this kid, but he's going to bless nations. When you're praying for your friends, do you believe God's going to use them to bless nations? Are you just hoping that they don't go to hell? Because God's got a purpose for them. God's got a purpose for you to bless nations. You don't know who you're going to touch. You don't know who you might meet, and they go around the world. But an angel shows up, says, God's got you. God's got this. Oh, and by the way, name him John. Now, again, culturally, that was wrong because there was nobody in their family had that name. Of course, what happens? He gets freaked out. Y'all would. Angel just shows up and starts talking to you. And then he's like, really? We're old. We're going to have a baby now. What happened? Couldn't speak anymore. So don't question God when he gives you a promise. He might just have you close your mouth up. Even if it's wrong, go out and praise it. I'd rather my mouth keep working. It's okay, God. You said it. Let's do it. And so they start going through this, and what happens? Galatians 6, 9 says, what? Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So for our church, for your faith, for your family, for your friends, don't ever give up on praying for them, because in the waiting, God can give a blessing. And so we trust God. The third thing we see here is you have to have faith. Our faith is tested. We need to remember that we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by who God says he is, not who I think he is. And whether he shows up on my time or his time, his time is probably better because he wants to use the blessing to bless others. So when he came in and gave Zacharias and Elizabeth this blessing of a child, it wasn't for them. It wasn't to take away her shame. It was to take away the shame of a nation. 
God wants to use you. God wants you to understand that it was unbelievable he shut his mouth. But Matthew 17, 20 said, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. If you have the faith the size of a, seed, a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and it will be moved. So don't worry about how big you think your faith is. Remember the God you serve in his size. Whether I think it can happen or not has no bearing on whether or not God can do it. And so when you're sitting there praying for people and you're white-knuckling a steering wheel, tears flowing down your eyes, and all of a sudden God whispers in your ear, are your problems bigger than me? Okay, maybe that's only happened to me. I can say, you're right, God. You are creator of all the universe. Your ways are not my ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You are far above me, and nothing can separate me from the love of God. And that leads us to the fourth point, is we need to start learning to marvel in God's presence. We need to learn to wait in his presence. Zachariah was in the temple. He probably lost track of time hanging out with God. I don't know if any of you guys have ever done that, where you just start worshiping and you just get lost in time. If not, maybe we need to get back to that, where we just get lost in the presence of God. We forget about the roast that might burn at home in our oven. We forget about the game that might kick off at noon and we marvel in God's presence and say, God, you are the creator of all universe. Do what you can do and only you can do. Let me not stand in your way. While in the temple, he forgot all about time. The people realized when he walked out, he had a vision. It was written all over his face. It never came out of his mouth. He couldn't talk but they saw something was different. When you walk out of the presence of God Sunday morning, out of your house Monday morning after spending time in the presence of God, do people see you and say, you, you must have had a vision. I can see something on you. Are we so hurried with our schedule that we forget the Christmas story is about God? And your job is to represent that Christmas story to people. I've said it before, the gospel message is simple to share with people. Three things. There's a manger, a cross, and an empty tomb. That's the simplicity of the gospel message. God chose to send his son to die on a cross for me while I was yet a sinner. I'm not going to try to convince you of that, but just try to argue about my life. It's my life. I know what God's done. So don't argue with people about whether Christmas happened in December or it happened in April or it happened in May or whether it was a virgin birth or a young woman birth. And don't argue about semantics. Introduce them to the Jesus that you know. And when you're not sure what to say, as the Bible says, wait on God and he will give you the words to say when you need to say them. So the story of God's intersection with Humanity is a unique one. The truth is that any time God and humans come together, something interesting is about to happen. Every time we come in here Sunday morning, I'm expecting something interesting to happen. I have no idea what. But I'm excited to see what God's going to do. I'm excited to see what's about to take place every time 
one of you gets into the presence of God. When I used to lead worship, my whole thought process was, if I can lead people into the throne room of God for even a second, I will never have to try to get them back there again because they'll want to go back. And so when we're leading worship, when we're doing things, when we're trusting on God, we're trusting that he is who he says he is, and we can always trust him even if we have to wait 700 years. Because his timing is perfect. He'll never leave you or forsake you. All the characters of Christmas that we're going to talk about through this series, they had encounters with God that were out of the ordinary. And that is my prayer for you guys through this series, that you have an encounter with God that you've never had before. And it's something that will change your view of Christmas and bring us back to what Christmas actually is. I pray that God drastically is going to change lives and we can live by the example of Zechariah and just be faithful, have fun, and trust God.